Today, 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 today we're going to talk about some other kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about hopelessly lost or lost in hope. Hopelessly lost. Anybody ever been hopelessly lost in your life? Anybody feel like you're hopelessly lost all the time in your life? Um, if so, you're at the right place. Um, so today, I just, um, I just want to go ahead and, and, and start with, with prayer. You know, last week I told you it was kind of a, a weighty week. This one wasn't any lighter. Um, I think they're all, it's just called life. Am I right with that? So let's, let's just pray. If you'll just stop right now and pray with me. God, we just thank you. I want to thank you, number one, for the gift of life. Uh, sometimes, we, you know, usually when we talk about life, it's, man, life is hard. Gosh, life kicks you in the rear end. Gosh, life does this. Life does that. But God, we thank you for that. Um, it gives us an opportunity to connect to so many other people. It's filled with adventure. Sometimes the adventure is one we want to get off of. But most of all, God, it gives us a chance to know and connect to you. So that, that day, as that song that we sang, that, one, that day when you call our name, we're all going to go home. There will be no more sorrow, no more pain, but we can experience eternal life. Not just this continual living down here. That would be, uh, for many of us, hell. Um, but a life of full, enriching um, just a life in, pres- in, in worship and presence with you. And for that, God, we give you praise for all that you are to us. And uh, just thank you for that gift and the gift of your son, Jesus. And in your name we pray. Amen. All right. Um, what's, I want to start off today by asking uh, a, a couple of questions. First thing I want to um, ask you is, what is the most valuable thing that you have ever lost? What is the most valuable thing you've ever lost? Anybody ever lost anything very valuable? Yeah, go ahead. Diamond ring. A diamond what? Oh, a diamond outer ring. How many, anybody lost a diamond outer ring? Okay, I see a lot of hands up. Um, anybody lost anything else? Anything else valuable? Your mom's cross, okay? That would be a loss. What else? My class ring. Your class ring? Okay, yeah, when we lose people, we lose people. What about objects? Any other objects that you lost? Nobody lose anything? I got to hang around with you guys. I lose my keys a lot. Find them um, most of the time. Lose my wallet. Anybody ever lost your wallet completely? Okay, that's that's like, you feel so vulnerable at that moment, don't you? Because everybody has everything of your stuff. Melissa one time lost a, a, um, a Discover card. And then I went to fill up on gas, and they denied me. I thought, oh, okay. And then we went somewhere else to Walmart, denied me. I was like, okay. And then I went home, and she's like, where's my card? And I was like, okay, now I figure this out. But somebody had a good time down at Perryville Outlets and also at Walmart um, at the time with, with our card. So, um, but fortunately, we didn't have to pay it because they were really good at cutting it off. So anybody else lost anything else? Valuable, yeah. Your glasses, okay, that's pretty valuable. A house, you lost a house, okay, that's really losing something, misplacing a, misplacing a house, so there we go. Um, there's a lot of things we've lost, am I right? We lose things because of finances. Anybody lost money? And you, that's like, ah, like if you just go to the bank and you just fill up, and you're like, ah, you lose that. Well, um, this week I lost something very valuable to me. And this is the negative side of losing weight. This is what I lost. And I'm going to show you a picture here. Right there. I lost my wedding ring. So I lost weight. And what I realized is I do a lot of this. And particularly when it's cold on the football field, I do this. 
But then also when I get to yell at somebody on the team, I go like this. And somewhere between this, this, and the football field and me washing my hands at home, I lost my wedding ring. So I was upset about it. My wife was really upset about it. And I said, it wasn't like I just took it off trying to hook up or something, you know. I, I lost it, you know. Uh, it wasn't, uh, so, but she was really upset. And so at, at least we have pictures. Um, and then we actually went, that, the, we actually went the next night. I, and by my idea, ladies, my idea, okay. And I said, let's go look for one. Anybody look for a wedding ring, wedding band, and the cost of them lately? You know, I think I bought mine for like 60 bucks at service merchandise. So the, so the good thing is my wedding ring actually lasted longer than service merchandise. But, you know, I lost it. And, um, and I just felt weird without it. It, it. You know, yeah, you know, I'm sure if I look, you know, went to some place, I could probably get one cheap. But some of these things are expensive. I mean, I hear those commercials, save your gold because it's expensive. Gold is expensive, okay? And so I went through a, a lot of this. And so I, I said, Psh, I am not paying that much. I love you, dear, but I'm not paying that much. You know, I'll go get one of those tattooed ones like people do. It's cheaper, and it lasts longer. Um, so I went through all this stuff, and then I got home, and I was like, hey, wait a second. My, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather, mom gave me his ring. And I said, let me go try it, because before I was really fat, and it wouldn't fit, you know. And I said, let me try. And look, it fits perfect. Isn't that cool? So now I, now I got my, my grandfather's ring, and if I lose that, my mom will then kill me, too. So, you know, but it's, it's weird when you lose something, and, and you feel hopeless. The next day, I had another coach, and some of the guys on the football team, we're all looking around, and the first thing we do when we get to the field, oh, they cut the grass and line the field. And we're like, you know, because we all think that the ring's just going to go, you know, somewhere over, or that it's painted over top, you know, so we're like, okay. So sometimes somebody will be with a metal detector and find it. So I don't know where I lost it. I'm just telling you in between that area. It may be in my car somewhere. If it is, I'll find it when I'm cleaning it out sometime. But still, there's something that you feel hopeless when you lose something. And somewhere there's my ring going, please find me. I used to be so valuable, you know, if it could talk. But it's not there. And so I was reading this, you know, and just thinking of a lot of things this week. I wanted to talk about whether you were hopelessly lost or lost in hope. And I thought about that as I was looking at the scripture this week. And what, let me share with you the difference. If you're hopelessly lost, here's how you tell the difference of where you are. Because you're either one or the other in life. You are either hopelessly lost, which means that life has you bogged down. That every circumstance in life feels weighty. You know what I mean? It just seems like you're laboring through every ounce. When the alarm clock goes off, you're like, ugh. Another day. When you go to bed, you're like, Ugh, I got to sleep. Everything is laborious. Or you go to the, you're one of the people that goes to the refrigerator. What am I going to eat for dinner? And you go, whole refrigerator full, and you know, there's nothing there to eat. Everything is laborious. And that's one of the ways that you know you're hopelessly lost. The other avenue is that you're lost in hope. That you have a faith that is so strong that the world could be falling apart around you and you have a smile on your face because you say, God is in control. And you can take my money, you can take my house, you can take my ring, you can take all this stuff, but guess what? I still have Jesus, so it's going to be okay. That's being, uh, that's being lost in hope. You know, being lost in 
and, and dealing with this issue is not really the worst thing in the world. We all are lost at times. Jesus talked about that. But as I read Romans 8, 12-23, I saw some really interesting things that are here. So I want you to take a look at this with me. I believe um, um, we have it there. But we're going to start in Romans chapter 8. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there, if you would. Um, Acts, Romans is right after Acts. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And for those of you who signed up for Disciple, the, I, I'm assured that the manuals are on their way. And um, as soon as they get here, I will co- contact you and we'll get rolling. So that's another side note. Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is a really interesting verse. So we're going to start in verse 17. And verse 17 says this. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Then he says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed to us. The creation eager, in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subject to frustration, or as the verse that was read in, that Stephen read from the New Living Translation, is groaning. Creation is groaning. Can you groan with me? Get your best groan. Ready? See, you guys are really good at that. That's, that's scary. Um, for the creation was subject to frustration or groaning, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself would be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. Verse 22. We know that the whole creation has been groaning. What has it been doing? Uh, give me the groaning. Ready? All creation has been groaning. There we go. All creation has been groaning in the pains of childbirth. Ouch. Right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So when I read this, I saw this verse groaning several times. We have all of creation groaning. We have us groaning. And so I started, needed to ask a question. And this question is this. And well, before I get to that, I'll, I'll give you the question in a second. Before I get to that, I had you there. That verse, share in his sufferings. I don't like that. Does anybody else not like the fact that you have to share that we're called children of God if we share in his sufferings. I don't like that verse. Anybody else like that verse? You know, matter of fact, if I'm quoting this verse without having to read it as a full chapter, you would have it this way from Jack. It would say, now if we are children, then we are heirs. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Stop, dot, dot, dot. I just leave it right out of there. I don't like that part. If we share in his suffering, that's not fair. You paid the price for me. That's what every preacher and Sunday school teachers told me. Why do I have to share in any suffering? I don't want to suffer. And so, but then we get into this whole thing about groaning. And so, I started to ask myself, do I groan more than I rejoice? And that led me to something to say, why do we groan? Anybody wonder why you groan? Because you guys were really good at it right there. If I said everybody laugh, you'd go, <laughs> but I said groan, you went, Ugh! you know, like, 
like three weeks of stuff was regurgitated out on the floor. You know, we're good at that. So why do we groan? And I just want to spend a little bit of time today in sharing with you some biblical reasons why I believe that we groan. First thing is, we deal with groaning versus glory and why we're growing, groaning. Um, when we deal with, uh, let me go back to that verse, if you will, real quick, Melinda. I'm jumping around today, I know. This verse here, and we as believers, we also groan, even though the Holy Spirit's living within us. Paul, right here, the, Paul's trying to get something across that we have the Holy Spirit of God living within us, yet we still groan. Why is that? You know, Paul sets up something really interesting. Throughout the book of Romans and throughout a lot of his writings, he does this opposed kind of thing. Why do I do what I want to do, I don't do? The good that I want to do, I don't do. And he's doing the same thing in here. He's saying we, we have this future glory, but yet we have this groaning situation here. And so, but we have this, but I'm still groaning here. We get a fullness of life, but yet this. And he goes back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And so he's kind of sharing this in the first part here. So here we go. Here are a couple reasons why we are groaning in our, life, in our lives. One of the first things I want to say is because we take life way too seriously. And that's the first one on your sheet. We take life at the bottom of the first part. Why are we groaning? Because we, we take life way too seriously. There are numbers of people that take all areas of life too seriously. Let me give you an example. Does anybody here have children? Raise your hand. Have your children ever made a mistake? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's... You know, it's a, um, let me ask you, if you don't have children, have you ever been a child? Unless you're Benjamin Button. Uh, you know. Um, if you do that, did you ever make a mistake? Okay, some are lying, now they've only made a mistake. But what we have here is a lot of times we as parents or our parents as children, when we made a mistake or when our children make a mistake, we think that one mistake is going to completely destroy their entire lives. Actually, I think we think it's going to destroy our credibility when our kids make a mistake. You're a represent, representative of me. Am I right? Anybody? You got what on an exam? Oh my gosh, you are grounded for life. You must, must, must get it together. Or else you're going to be laying out on the street, eating from pods in the gutter, and you'll look bad on your mother. Right? We make it huge, don't we? Let me ask you, how many of you made a big deal about your child not doing well on an assignment? How many of you did bad on an assignment? Probably, I saw more hands there than your kids. What is it? We just have this whole major thing. And I'll tell you, there are some other big things in life. Like, you know, you know, used to be that when people, well, usually women, got pregnant out of wedlock. Usually. um, They'd send them away. You remember those days? Send them away. Now, which I think is good, you know what we do with Mary, the mother of Jesus? We send her away. That's what happened to her. That's why she was at Elizabeth's house. Don't you know that? They were sending her away. She was pledged to be married. They could have killed her for that. And we've done that for years and years and years. 
How horrible is that? Part of it is, oh my gosh, the world. But guess what? When we, it may not be what we hoped for. There's that word, hope for. But guess what? God brings incredible blessings in life. I think it's pretty cool that Jesus was born to an unwed parents. To tell us that the way we see things is not always the way God wants us to. Now, I'm not telling you, parents, don't kill me. I'm not telling you to go out there and do that. I got three girls. You know what I mean? But what I'm saying is, we take things too seriously in life. We worry about all kinds of other stuff, except for the fact that that person who's going through that, and I'm, this, is very, this is very big. Do you know that Cecil County is second only to Baltimore County in teenage pregnancy in the state of Maryland? And I've heard stories of people going to churches and them shunning them rather than loving them. What's wrong with us there? Because it's a major thing. That's just one thing. I don't want my kids to do anything. Believe me, I've had the threatening speeches. If you do such and so, Jacob, if you, give, if you go ahead and take this, if you do that, if this practice comes to your life, I will kick your rear end. Really, not figuratively. I will all around the outside. We've got two and a half acres. It'll be fun up and down the hill. I've done that because I want him to live a good life. And I'm not just saying go do what you want to. But I realize he's going to make mistakes. And I've also realized that I've got to be a little bit nicer to him when he does make those mistakes. And love him through that rather than condemn him for it. You know, that's a parent thing, you know. But what I find out is that we have more groaning than rejoicing. You'll see that as we look at this, I think one of the things is, has anybody, did anybody grow up in a house that said, I don't know how we're going to make it? We're, I, don't, I just don't know how we're going to make it. Every month, I don't know how we're going to make it. Today, I don't know how we're going to make it. I don't know how we're going to make it. And you do. You just do. Sometimes, sometimes God just throws it in there and just makes it happen. And one of the things is, I've known people who, they're, they're well advanced in years. And they're doing okay, but they won't pay a dime for something because it was a dime meant like $10 back so-and-so. You know who I'm talking about here? And when you ask for money from them, they give you a speech about how they walked in the snow uphill both ways. And I said, all I wanted was five cents to go to the, what here? You know, get some penny candy if they still have that. Um, and yet, there are some people that, and, and, and I wrote this down because I, I just really like this statement. People are often... So worried, people are often so worried about the future that they let the future worry steer the present joy. You know what I mean? We worry about, anybody here want to retire one day? That sounds, that sounds good, you know. Years ago, in the, when the Methodist church didn't have its offshoots but was all one deal, they used to not have any retirement. They just used to call you old worn out preachers. I don't know which of those I'm headed toward, you know. But, um, you know, I think, I think a lot of us want, want to retire. And I could, you know, one of the things I see so much is where people store up for that. And that's a good thing. But I've seen so many people store up for that and never get to enjoy it. And yet they, made, they never enjoyed anything in the present because they were planning for 20, 30 years down the road. And sadly, in 10 years, it was gone because they were gone. You know, um, And so often we just let those future worries control our joy here today. 
We all, I, I call this kind of like the end of the world syndrome or the chicken little syndrome. What did chicken little say? The sky is falling. Um, or, or even worse, it's oh, the only, biblically it's the oh no we're going to drown syndrome. You know where that comes from? It comes from Mark chapter 4. Let's look at Mark chapter 4. I put it in your bulletin what I want you to see. Jesus gets in a boat. He's had a busy day. He's tired. He gets in a boat. He says, hey, let's go across the other side. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out, leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed along. But soon a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking in the boat, and it began to fill with water. And I love this. Jesus was sleeping on the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. He's tired. Busy day. You know, one of the things I hate most in life is when my children come and wake me up right when I just go to sleep. You know, you just get comfortable. You start to settle in. You're not moving. The body is like working in the REM sleep kind of deal. Like here. And then all of a sudden, hey, daddy. And I'm like, what? And then I'm done. I can't go back to sleep for another hour. You know, it takes me that time. And I've threatened them with bodily harm not to ever do that to me again. And they still do it. So it does, and I don't bodily harm, so it doesn't work. But here's Jesus. He says, I'm tired, guys. I'm going to go lay down. He lays down. He has, he has his own little pillow. I mean, pillows weren't pre- prevalent in that day. But Jesus has a pillow. He's sleeping on something. He's just out cold. The wind waves. There is a big storm breaking over. Those of us who've been there know that the storms can come up very quickly. And I've been on, on the Sea of Galilee when a storm it starts off nice and sunny and then all of a sudden in a big boat, it takes 45 hours in a power boat to get 45 minutes from one side to the other. Waves are coming up, crashing, choppy. I can't imagine being in a little boat. This is what's going on. And they're scared. They're scared. And they go to Jesus. And it says the disciples woke him shouting, Teacher, don't you care if we're going to drown? And I love this. Jesus woke up and he rebuked the wind and the waves and he said, Silent, be still. And suddenly the wave stopped and there was a great calm. And then he asked, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? I think that is absolutely one of the coolest verses of Scripture to me. Here's Jesus hanging on a pillow. They're scared to death, bailing stuff out, taking their hands, doing whatever they can. They're scared to death. Jesus is snoozing, as you saw the, the verses up here. And they say, don't you care if we're drowned? Correct me if I didn't get the full point of the story, but God is in the boat. Did you realize that? God is in the boat. And they go to him, don't you care if we drown? He's asleep, groggy. Huh? What? And I kind of think that he was probably telling them to shut up. You know, we say, peace, be still, quiet, be still. You know, he said, shut up! And when God says shut up, listen to what the verse of Scripture tells us. It tells us right here. When he woke up, he rebuked the winds and the waves saying, shut up! And suddenly the wind stopped and there was what? A great calm. You know what happened? God stood up and said, shut up! And everything went, whoop! Winds, waves, crickets, fish, everything. You know, remember the old E.F. Hutton commercial? E.F. Hutton? Everybody stopped? This is more than God. Everything stopped. How cool is that? You're, they're worried they're going to drown. You know why? Because they were lost in hope. They were, I mean, excuse me, they were hopelessly lost. At that moment, they were hopelessly lost. If they were lost in hope, they said, don't worry about the waves. He said, we're going to the other side. God's in the boat. 
And when we look at this, the disciples had two problems. Number one, we're going to drown. Number two, don't you care? Many of us throughout our lives exist in this way where we think, I'm drowning, God, don't you care? I'm going through this, don't you care? I've got this financial problem, don't you care? I have a hopeless situation, don't you care? And the next part, he's saying, I'm drowning. The fact is, Jesus knows the storms in your life. And I'm going to tell you, although they're big at times, anybody been through a big storm in your life? Although the storms at times seem big, seem large, you're not going to drown unless it's time for the Lord to call you home. You know, all those disciples that were in the boat except for one died a martyr's death. Every single one of them, except for Judas, who you know, hung himself. And John, he lived and, on Alan Patmos. Every single one of them were going to die. But guess what? That day during the storm was not their time. So we, gotta, we have to embrace that and to know that Jesus knows those storms in our lives. And until he calls us to glory, we don't have to get too worried about it. What we need to do is to, to, get, to embrace hope and recognize that Simply this, I really can make it with Christ. I really can. Jesus asked them, why are you still so afraid? I'm in the boat. Why do you have such little faith? Faith is where we, we aren't hopelessly lost, but we're lost in hope. And we say, you know what? I know what it shows and what it sees, but I'm going to trust in him. And if, he, and if I do drown in it, it means he's calling me to glory. What a great retirement plan. Am I right? Look at what it says here um, in, uh, in uh, Philippians chapter 4. Paul understood what it was like to be lost in hope because he writes these words, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let's do that together. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Okay, so you were better at the groaning. We are better at the groaning. It takes more, you know, it takes more effort to smile, doesn't it? More, mu- more face muscles to smile than it does to frown. Just like gravity work. Right? You know where Paul wrote that? From prison. Not a country club. A prison. Where he was beaten. And planning on being executed for the Lord. And he said, rejoice. And I'm going to say it again, rejoice. Not many of us in those circumstances could do that. But you see, he was lost in hope. Lost in the hope of God. Psalm 23 says this. The Lord is my shepherd. I what? He makes me lie down in green pastures. When I was a kid, I was like, what the heck are they talking about? Some of you may be an adult and be like, what the heck are they talking about? Took some modern translations, some other things to get me straight. You know what it really means? The Lord is my shepherd, my provider, my caretaker. I don't need anything but him. That's being lost in hope. Whatever I have is what you give me, Lord. Circumstances or anything else. 23. All right, everybody good? Next one. Here we go. Next one. Why else do we groan? Because there are times to mourn. There are times to mourn. 
Scripture doesn't say go around, smile, and be happy all the time. You know, even though we sing that, I'm in right up, right up, right down, right happy all the time. Anybody live up to that song? If you do, something's wrong with you. It's fun. I, I, about the only time I, I quit smiling when I sing that song because I'm like trying to do all the motions and I can't do all that stuff. You guys remember that song? Oh, there we go. We could do it, Chris. You want to join me in to do that? Okay, yeah, Chris would. So we have these, it's easy to say, don't worry, be happy. But that's wrong at many times. Because let me tell you, there are times to mourn. Some of you are mourning along with the Racine family this week. And I will tell you, to sing I Will Rise with that on my mind and heart, it was a very difficult thing to do. Not because of him. He's, he's enjoying it. But because I'm mourning his loss. You know? In the last five years, I got to know him. Well, I remember the first time I met him was when he was, before this church ever existed, when I was the pastor at Moore's, and he had had a bout with pneumonia and was told he was going to die then. And he didn't. I spent time with him. I miss him pulling me alongside with his cup of coffee and telling me a joke. That was a little bit armory and a lot bit funny. I miss his direct candor so you didn't have to guess where he was thinking. I miss his helping people without people knowing that he's helping. I miss that. I hate looking at his wife and they've been together 15, since they were both 15 years of age. And not recognize that she's going to spend the rest of her life without him. And the children and grandchildren, that he was just a great grandfather. I miss that. And I mourn that in this world. And that's okay. We've got to stop living in a time where we believe that we tell people to suck it up or deal with it. You know, the scripture is very clear. You know, and I found people with time, things that they could, they could gripe and groan about. And don't. That's the thing that amazes me. I saw one of, the, one of the people who didn't groan during this whole process was Tom himself. But passed on to people, you need to know the Lord. And I'm not going any, any sooner or any later than when the doctor upstairs calls me. And when he does, I'm ready. I don't have to waste my, the rest of my life, whatever I have, getting right with people because I did that in my life. Can we say that today? If we were given a month to live, you know, I, anybody ever heard of Gary Mink? Gary Mink is um, from this area, and they've done years of mission work. And when I was in Lewis, they brought a group with them. They brought a girls' choir throughout the United States. And these were girls from Ghana. And as we were there, I, I believe that's where it was. And these girls were there, and they were just singing and just happy and singing songs of the Lord. Half of them, I didn't have a clue what they were saying, but they were happy and singing, singing and happy. And then... I found out that these are girls from their orphanage who have come there at different stages in their life because their parents died of AIDS because of the AIDS epidemic and that they were left homeless and orphaned. That would give you some reason to groan, wouldn't it, in life? Some of them even are, were HIV positive. Does that give you a reason to groan in life? You're darn right. Heck, if I'd be up there singing about the goodness of God... If that was my situation, groan, keep groaning. But no, that's not where they are. Because they're not hopelessly lost. They're lost in hope 
Scripture tells us in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 that's up here. There's a time for every activity and a season for every activity under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. You see, it's not wrong to mourn, but it's wrong to never dance. Because we're mourning all the time. Groaning is not a sin in intense situations. There is a time to groan. But God, as I talked about last week, remember God helps us forget? And we we tend to see that. There will be a time where that pain subsides. And there will be a time where it's time to dance again. And a time to laugh again. I've known so many people who have lived lifetimes and they've been some of the most miserable people I've ever met. And it happened because they were miserable when they were younger. A perfect example of this, and sometimes we still go back to a time to groan. Look at the Israelites in Exodus chapter 3. And we're going to look at this verse. And I think I, um, let me see if I put some of this. Here we have it here. It says, but the Israelites continued to what? groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and their cry rose up to God. And God did what? Heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel and knew what? It was time to act. Groaning is not bad when it's an intense situation. Slavery in Egypt was an intense situation. God heard their groaning. If you're going through an intense situation, God hears your groaning. Give him that groaning. And guess what? He will remember the covenant that is made between you and Jesus through him, through Jesus to him, and he will act in your life. may not be always the way we want it to, but he will act. And he will bring you freedom. So there is time, there are times to mourn. But we also need to know let go, to let go when it's time to dance as well. All right? Number three. The third reason why we groan is because, here's a, here's a theological one, because the world has fallen. Genesis chapter 3. I put that in your, uh, in your bulletin. It says, so the Lord God said, this is after he cursed the serpent, and he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, the woman, And between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And the woman said, and then he said to the woman, I will make your pains in childbearing severe. All you ladies who've had children are a thrill with that one. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. And to Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate the fruit of the tree, which I commanded you not to eat from. Cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil You will eat food from all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat food until you you return to the ground. Since um, from it you were taken, for um, for dust are you and dust you will return. Boy, ain't that beautiful. What it says is exactly what what Stephen read in our verse today is that all creation is groaning. 
Because it's a fallen world. It's groaning. Every day, the creation groans to God. I don't like this thistle. You created this good, and it's groaning, and it's groaning before you. Do you ever feel in your life that you are just going through the motions, and the harder you try, the worse it is? The more difficult it becomes to do this and to do that and to do that other thing. It's just difficult and difficult and difficult. That's because all the creation is groaning right now. And now right now we're about this one and you're saying, Jack, I came depressed. I'm even more depressed now. Thank you very much for church. But wait. There's more. And it's awesome. Let's go back to Romans chapter 8. Because I stopped in the middle of the verse. Romans chapter 8, verse 23b, the second half of that. Listen to what this says. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of a future glory we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering we too wait with eager hope for the day that god will give us our full rights as adopted children including here we go this is the exciting one new bodies as he's promised anybody excited about that that means i get to eat all that stuff that i can't eat now once again look at what that verse says we groan, but we have the Holy Spirit in us that gives us a glimpse of what we're going to have, the promise that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And this promise is simply this, that when I'm done with His flesh, that I get a new body. But more importantly, I get full rights as a son of God. That should excite you. And get, let me give you a hint here. Why do I mean that? Because look at this, John, in John's, uh, John 1, he tells us that we are children, verse John tells us that we are children of God. Look at what it says um, here, let's take a look at this some more. My kids, I, I love all of you dearly, but I will tell you, if you have a problem and my kids have a problem, my kids are going to take precedence over your issues, because they're my kids. If I'm really busy and I have something and... You call me and need me that second. I may not answer the phone for you that second. I'll get back to you. But when my kids need me, they can come right into my bedroom, to my office, sometimes even in the bathroom, and come get me. They're taking this God thing throne room very seriously. Because they're my kids. And they have full rights to me at any time they want. Until I lock the doors and say, get out. And they're still banging on the door. Daddy, 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 daddy. Until I say, what do you want? Because they're my kids and they have full rights to me. The promise that we have is that although creation groans, I groan and we got this stuff. The spirit of God living within me is giving me a promise that not only do I get to not have the aches and pains I do here and the suffering I do here, but the promise that when I get to heaven, I have full rights to my daddy. And I need to recognize some of that now that I can call on all the angels in heaven to come to me. God, daddy may not send him, but he's going to hear my groaning. He's going to come to me because he's my daddy. That's why Jesus prayed, not our father, but daddy, Abba. He knows that we're hurting in the loss of someone we love very well. He knows that you're going through the struggles and relationships. He knows those things, and he cares. It was a crazy week for my family this week. It seemed like it was, in one day, it was just like, Heartbreak, depression, upset, this. It was like a whirlwind of this. And I was like, ah! You know? 
I'm the one who's trying to keep it together. I mean, while I'm grieving myself, but when they had their needs, I, even though I was doing stuff, I stopped and I wanted to hear them and I wanted to talk to them. Maybe not as much as I should have, but isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome you get full rights and full benefits? If my kids cry, they're the number one issue in my life. Paul says, get lost in hope because of God. What other stuff in the world can give us full rights? The full rights to the kingdom of God. Nothing. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9 says this. However it is written, here's a promise for us. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Isn't that an awesome promise? I can, th- and I, this is really awesome with me because I've seen a lot in my life. I've heard a lot in my life. And I can think of a lot, a lot in my life. But to know that the things I think about this church and about life in general are, don't even begin to scratch the surface of what my daddy has prepared for me is amazing and powerful. The next thing that's good is this. And I'll finish with this today. We're not home yet. Anybody ever stayed in the hotels? Like you've been on a vacation where you're staying in another hotel or been in work and you stay in a hotel. You know, they make them nice. But, yeah, and, and sometimes, anybody ever been in a dive hotel? You just feel skeevy. You know, you feel like stuff's crawling on you. I remember, we, Melissa and I, a couple times, um, we went to this uh, one place down in Ocean City, and it would look nice, and it was decent. It was a, our first vacation after we were married, after, you know, the year after. And uh, we went to this one place, and we were, you know, it just didn't seem like it was, like, most clean. Melissa's the kind of person, if we go into a hotel, it could be like, you know, the Rich Carlton, and she pulls the, the top off the, the uh, comforter and says, I don't know what's been done on that, and I don't want to find out. And so she'll pull it off, and she'll take it out of the way. And so we'll sit, you know, so a lot of times she'll, when we're on vacation, she'll bring her own blanket in. And I'm like, that's been disgusting. The dog's been on it. The kid's just nodded on it. But yeah, but I know whose they are. And so she'll do that kind of stuff. And so as this one time, we, we were at this place, and we, when we were in bed, we were, like, we were like itching, you know? And we're like, what? And it rained all week at the beach. It was like one of those weeks. And, and it just like, and so like the second to last day, I'm like, what the heck's going on? Maybe it's the sheets or one of the days, I don't know. It was like shut it out of my mind. And we pulled off the sheets and there was dog hair on the, on the mattress underneath. Yeah, I can see by your face, you're enjoying that. So I was like itching because somebody's dog was there. So we, we ended up calling and of course they didn't do anything. That's my life. But anyway, um, it was gross. I don't know whose dog that is. I don't want my dog's dog hair. Today I took lint and took my dog's dog hair off the lint roller. But I've also stayed in some really, like, nasty places that you're like, yuck, you know. I mean, and we do that for cost and other kinds of things. But the fact is, I've even stayed in some really good places. But after a while being there, nothing more than when you come that long journey and you walk in and it's like night and you get the kids in bed, and you go slide into your bed, because one of the things Melissa does, she puts in new sheets before we leave, so that when you get home, you can go, "Ah, I'm at my bed. (laughs) 
And that's where we are now. You know, reason, there's a reason why we're groaning is because we're, we're sleeping in the dog hair of this world. We're not home yet. And that day when God calls us, we're going to go home. So we shouldn't feel comfortable here because we're just passing through. Hebrews 13, 14 says, This world is not our permanent home. We are looking forward to a home yet to come. 1 Corinthians 5, 6 tells us the same thing and even more. I don't know why I I went through this. Probably because I'm just dealing with some loss and grief myself during this week. But we should have a taste of that fullness that God gives us here. Jesus said, I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. As the praise team comes up right now, I'm just going to say we're going to have a time of just prayer and just to get together. Recognizing that we're not home yet. And recognize that even though I have a taste of the fullness of God, I need to understand that God loves me, hears me, sees me, and wants, hears my groaning, and then he knows it's time to act. And in ending, what is all this about? To put us into action for God. To put us into action. Get lost in hope in your life. Get lost. Spend this time. I am asking if you stand where you are. I'm going to pray. And uh, real quick, I'm going to pray as, as they lead us in, in, in some song. And you can pray at the altar. But just bow your heads with me and pray. Lord God, there's, so, there's some of us here who are just completely hopelessly lost. We're just going through the motions and we don't have any direction. We don't know where you're, you're guiding us, where you're leading us. If we're even be led by you, if we're just kind of floating around in the sea of the world until we end it all, until it's all ended, and then we're done. But God, you've intended for life much more than that. I started this with a prayer. Thank you for the adventure of life. And yet in the midst of it, I can find several moments where life isn't fun. But God, I, I, wanna, I wanna, don't want to live hopelessly lost. I want to live lost in hope. I want to just have a, have a faith that, that God, that I know you're going to take care of it. I know that you're going to be there for us when we need you. Our families. Our church family here has taken a, a major blow of moving somebody that we love dearly. Many of us are dealing with our own struggles in the midst of this. But God, you know, if we focus on just those things, we can get hopelessly lost rather than being lost in the hope that we have that we're your children. If we share in those sufferings, God, I think many of us can say, I'm suffering. But God, let us have a little bit of that fullness so we can have the full rights as your children. Hear us today in our groanings. Come and fill this room, Holy Spirit. We love you in Christ's name.